always get a little jittery when like, yeah, I'm supposed to be live on three things and one says, eh, we're not ready yet. <laughs> now it is. So I'm ready. I'm Brent Leary. Second day in a row, a few good minutes uh, with, uh, for a really interesting conversation. And this one today, you know, this is cool stuff because I like talking about MarTech. I'm learning more about ad tech. And there are differences, folks. And so we're going to get a chance to talk about both and where they're going and how they fit into some of these uh, newfangled things like Web 3.0. And so with me today is Tara DeZeo. Tara is from Pega. She heads up some of their MarTech and AdTech uh, products and thought leadership. And so, Tara, thank you for joining me today. This is great. Thanks for having me, Brent. Glad to be here. So I hear that you kind of like things like ad tech and marketing. Is that true? Yes. You know, I'm a total geek about ad tech and martech. I, I think it's so interesting. And uh, I love getting on uh, calls and, and things like this with people who are similarly nerdy about marketing. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hey. <laughs> I mean, look, we both have glasses. <laughs> oh, okay, well, you got that. So, all right. So, we will be geeking and nerding out for the next 30, 45 minutes or so. Yes. <laughs> so, before we jump into all that, why don't you give us a little of your personal background? Sure. Yeah. So, I've been with Peg a little over a year and a half. Um, and I spend a lot of my days talking about um, ad tech and martech and what's going to be happening and how our products can help um, brands. And then prior to that, I was with Oracle for about seven years, same topics, different company. Um, and it's just been a really interesting ride based on how the industry has changed over the last 10 years. It's just so innovative and volatile and, you know, you never know what's what's coming. So <laughs> keeps me on my toes. Absolutely. So I talked a little bit about you guys did put out a, a research project around you know, kind of some of the findings for what is coming ahead for MarTech and EdTech. But before we jump into all that kind of stuff, would, would it be okay if you just give me like a high level definition of what each of those things is? And Because I think sometimes people say one and they may mean the other and they kind of equate the, you know, EdTech for MarTech and vice versa. But what are the differences? What are the things that you know, we should know or people should know when it comes to ad tech and when it comes to martech, how they compare and how they contrast? Yeah, you know, I kind of uh, lump them into what I call mad tech because what we're seeing now is uh, brands that have giant stacks and your ad tech tools and your martech tools are all sort of smashed into one place. Really, ad tech is, you know, how do we get our messaging out in front of uh, audiences in different areas um, through advertising? MarTech is more of, hey, this is an integrated play. We're going to do our email. We're going to do our um, inbound and outbound um, all in one place. So it's really ad tech kind of nests within MarTech now. And I think it's going to become even more like that as we march into the future as a uh, third-party cookie deprecation happens. Yeah, so. I always got to talk about that. Matter of fact, I heard this new, well, this term is new to me, super cookies. Have you heard this? Do you know what a super cookie is? A super cookie? No, this is the first time I'm hearing of it. I probably should know what it is, but. 
don't worry about it. It sounds good, but you know, I, I, it probably isn't as good as it sounds. I, I just literally heard about it. I, was, I just thought I'd ask you in passing. Maybe it's something that you know we'll be hearing more and more about in the future. But for the time being, why don't we talk about some of the things that uh, you – well, let me ask you this before we jump into the report. Um, how does social media how does that how does that change the landscape landscape and uh, maybe the relationship between Martech and EdTech? You know, it's interesting because social media, when it's organic, um, it's part of just a brand marketing strategy, right? But where paid media comes into play, paid social, that's where ad tech kind of steps in, right? Because you can connect your social channels to other data sources and use it to advertise. So essentially, we've it's got two functions and those functions aren't going anywhere. It's still going to remain a, a touch point that's really important. And um, I think brands are trying to find ways to utilize it in the new world without the cookie. So we'll see a lot of partnerships. We'll see a lot of um, different ways that brands are going to try to use social now in the future without that functionality. Awesome. Okay. So I've been kind of talking about this uh, recent research study that you guys released. So maybe you could give us a high level overview of the seven trends changing the status quo when it comes to marketing and, and why you guys did this report and kind of who, who are the folks who were surveyed? Yeah, you know, um, this report uh, went across 11 different countries and it was marketing leaders in all um, verticals. And really what we're trying to find out is how brands feel right now about what's happening in the industry and how they think that they're going to be able to sustain their business in a healthy way moving forward. And I think what we saw coming out of this is a validation of some of the hunches that we had. And, you know, in marketing, it's now all about data and, and data science. We don't, we don't do hunches anymore, um, which is a good thing. Uh, but I think what you're, what we're seeing is that number one, uh, we're going to have to see some major digital transformations here because these legacy marketing technologies that are all based on campaign frameworks are no longer going to be viable in the future, right? We're going to be looking for more tools that are unified, um, more tools that are backed by artificial intelligence, and less about um, data silos, right? We, we have had a problem in marketing in the past of having data silos and not being able to figure out how to use data to the fullest extent. And I think that artificial intelligence is a way to sort of bridge that gap. Now, I think what's most important to me out of all of these findings, right, is that personalization is still going to be top of mind for marketers. And I'm not talking about what I call your grandpa's personalization. So your grandpa's personalization is when you get an email with your name in the, in the, uh, the two line, right? That's not personalization. So when I talk about personalization, I'm talking about one-to-one -one interactions where the customer really feels like the brand is speaking directly to them. Right. So they know what your preferences are. They can read your context. You know, when is a good time to be talking to you? Um, they know what not to talk to you about. And 
I think in the report, we saw something like 67% of those surveyed said that personalization is a top priority for them in the next five years. Are you seeing, or do you feel like we're finally gonna get to the point where consumers feel like they're not just being marketed to or, or blasted? <laughs> do the, are we gonna get to the point or will or companies be able to get to the point where not only do they have the technology because it feels like there's tons and tons of technology that it, that are at your disposal if you're a marketer today and, and you're only going to get more and more of it as yeah. your interactions get digital. But what about being able to actually have a conversation or at least give the appearance that you're not only speaking at uh, customers, but actually listening and engaging in a, in a two-way interaction? Because it really feels like that's the thing that has been missing, you know, regardless of what kind of technology you've used. Yeah, you know, I think it's actually critical um, because the way we look at it here at PEGA is you actually have to earn the right to sell consumers something, right? So we call it uh, marketing or engaging with empathy. It's, you know, uh, I always give this example that when... Uh, a consumer is in a, a bad place or a weird place, that's a terrible time to talk to them, right? right? If they're in a region where they're having a natural disaster or there's some other extenuating circumstances, you don't want to sell them something in that moment, right? You want to, if, if you talk to them at all, and silence is sometimes a treatment, and I think that's undervalued. We don't always need to be talking to them. Right. Um, it's really offering value to them, right? So we don't just come at them selling them something. We say, hey, do you need these re resources? Um, where, where can you get the most out of our product to help you um, navigate whatever situation that you're in? And I think the brands that get it right are gonna take all of the spoils because customers are tired of being bombarded with irrelevant information from us. They see so many messages every single day that unless we're offering something of value to them, you know, they're just going to tune out and they have been tuning out. And that's why we're in the situation we're in now where consumers are totally freaked out about their privacy. Um, they're overexposed to brands. And basically, if you don't get it right, you're going to be you're going to be out. Even if it's really good content, if you're forcing it on people who aren't looking for that at that particular time, even good content could be annoying if it's not you know, delivered at the right time or you're not focused on what's really the driving force you know, right now for a customer. So is that part of what you guys are kind of when you talk about, I want to go back to the enhanced personalization is that kind of what you, what enhanced personalization means not just great content but relevant content at the right time delivered in the right channel all that kind of stuff all of that yeah and frequency right like there's nothing more obnoxious than you buying a product and then the brand coming back and emailing you every single day or trying to sell you with advertising the same product that you just bought right <laughs> 
we've all we've all been there we bought that pair of shoes and then that those shoes follow us around for the next six months and i think that it's a huge miss anytime i see that i want to email the brand's marketing team and just say hey this is a really bad customer experience you guys need to fix this here's some free consulting for you (laughs) (laughs) yeah it feels like even you know i don't want to keep harping on this but it feels like as good as the technology gets, some companies rely even more so on the better technology, thinking that that will solve their problem. And all great technology does is move the problem bigger, make it bigger and move it faster around. Yeah. And, you know, um, so uh, Scott Brinker's uh, landscape of ad tech and martech this year came out and average number of applications in a stack is 18. And then Gartner comes through and says, most brands are only using half, utilizing (laughs) half of their stack. So that's, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars going to waste uh, on these applications. And it's, it's not delivering a better customer experience for sure. Um, And I think that the real core of the issue is that brands are not using what they have effectively. They're not using the data that they have effectively. It's always about more data, more technology. And I think it's, it should be more about better technology, better data. Yeah, absolutely. And better interactions based off that better data. Absolutely. I mean, more informed, right? Like, if um, if you call into customer service line and you're having a horrible experience, now's not the time to try to upsell you on the product that you're <laughs> having problems with. Now is the time to say, hey, I see you're having a terrible experience with this product we sold you. How about we give you a month free? Yeah. Uh, it feels like there's still a disconnect between or maybe an over-dependence on technology versus common sense, you know, or, or, I mean, just, just what you're saying, like, why are you going to offer somebody something when they have a problem that you haven't fixed for them yet? Absolutely. It's not rocket science here. I want to go to uh, my buddy, Thomas. First of all, I think he was talking about the super cookies down at scary. Kind of, they sound tasty. Nobody <laughs> really don't know what that is. We'll, we'll figure it out, Thomas. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll ask the, ha- the happy hour crew about it. Uh, but I like this question. What do customers consider being of value? Yeah, I think it's really anything that helps them in the moment. Because right now we're in a digital universe where uh, the customer pivots instantly and then they're done. So like, if you can't talk to them within minutes, it's over. And it may be as simple as, you know, hey, I see you're looking for this information and you can't find it. Try another channel. Get in touch with our, you know, um, our customer service center or call this number or, you know, um, I had a really awesome experience, actually. So I'm I live in Seattle, Washington, and I was driving down to Portland. And as soon as I got into the Portland area, 
my bank sent me a notification that said that I could use their app on public transport in Portland. Now that's valuable, right? Especially knowing that I often use public transport. That's something that makes my life easier. They're not selling me anything. And it makes me say, oh man, this is great. You know, I want to keep banking with this bank because they really have what I need. Right. It works for you. And it's not just about them. Basically. Yes, exactly. It's two way. It's a two way conversation. It's not, you know, they're not just taking, taking, taking. I want to ask about privacy, but not at this point, because that that's like the good side of what companies can do with data. Yeah. There's a not so good side as well that maybe we can uh, talk about. Uh, there, you know. there definitely is. <laughs> I wanted to bring this up. Um, you talk about the survey found these new landscapes come with new KPIs. And just to explain a little bit of this, the, the blue is the current state and three to five years is the yellow, the, the future state. And, you know, the customer lifetime value, this is really shocking how much more important, I thought it was already important, but apparently yeah. it's going to be extremely important in the not too distant future. Why don't you, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, I think um, because budgets have been determined based on channel so much in the past, marketing budgets, that we've kind of come up with these really squishy metrics to sort of prove the value of certain channels. And really channels should be irrelevant. What's most relevant is how much value a customer brings you over the lifetime of your relationship with them. And I think it's, it's hard to, it's hard to calculate that. And it's hard to track when you have so many different applications, there's probably someone sitting behind the controls that has to take all of that data and manually press it together to figure that out over the long term. So it's, it's a tricky one because it's not the easiest thing to figure out. Um, but it's probably the most important predictor of sustainable value and growth for a company. So we need to shift away from things like clicks, click-throughs, all of those type of squishy, you know, impressions. Clicking's not buying. You know, I, I have an eight-year-old and he's often on my phone clicking away, <laughs> you know? So that doesn't mean anything about what I'm going to buy or what I have bought. Well, it feels like, you know, that's a great example. You know, clicking is an activity, it's an action it's a kind of interaction, but it's not, or it doesn't necessarily need to be actual engagement. Yeah. Things that actually you could, when, when you think of engagement, it's just not, oh, I clicked on something and then I was out. <laughs> it's right. more of, you know, oh, this started a, you know, a meaningful interaction that, you know, maybe it led to multiple interactions. It led to something. It led to a long-term-ish kind of thing. Uh, are you seeing those kind of metrics uh, will be as important, you know, as people value customer lifetime even more, there seems to be an opportunity to put some engagement metrics around that as well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because the third party cookie is kind of the way that brands have been able to connect those experiences and those channels in the past. And I think that's why it's more important than ever for brands to start their transformation now before they're forced to and find ways to connect those experiences 
And that's where tools like artificial intelligence come in. Tools that automation tools that can help you um, take all of the data from all of your interactions and unify them into one place so that you can really see, have a really instant, real-time picture of what your customer is doing. A lot of the times in legacy marketing technologies, you can connect the dots, but it's like two weeks after the campaign has ended, the customer is gone. Customer <laughs> doesn't care anymore. You're the only one that cares at that point. Right. Can you talk a little bit about the SEO ranking? Because you you mentioned the third party cookie Google eventually it was supposed to be this year. Yeah, year. Uh, that's an interesting one. So you know, and we said we'd get to this, but there's there's going to be some laws taking effect in the UK that uh, with SEO um, basically we're trying to avoid having biased SEO. So if you're on Google or let's say you're in Amazon and you search a product, uh, you can't preference your product over other people's products. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's going to be important is because we're going to see a lot of space open up as these laws take effect to allow um, some of the things that used to be happening in a good way to happen again, right? So search rankings that actually are real, um, you know, not inflated or biased. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's a good thing, right? We're going to see a lot more innovation when we can sort of clear some of the monopolies away. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, we have, you know, kind of the traditional, I guess there's traditional marketing you know, there's this move because of the pandemic, the more interactions become digital. And as you said earlier, that opens up the opportunity to, to be a little bit more precise, to have a better understanding of what works and what doesn't. And, uh, you know, you're already starting to see, you know, this thing, the metaverse and you hear this stuff called Web3. And what I'm hearing is, you know, the more, immediate impacts of some of those kind of technologies is going to be on retail. And of course, when you're talking retail, that means there's opportunity for you know, marketing and advertising and all these things. So how does all this new stuff, how does this kind of shape the future as you see it when it comes to MarTech and, and ad tech? You know, really, I think you just hit the nail on the head. It's retail. I think it's going to be like sector based, pretty much like you're not going to see a big metaverse shift in B2B, right? You're going to see it. Uh, you know, Nike's a great example of taking advantage of the metaverse. Um, you're going to see really innovative brands, retail brands that are coming up with new ways to engage in the metaverse um, over the next 12 months for sure, but next three to five years, definitely. So, you know, those brands that have always kind of been in the forefront are going to continue to do that. And uh, I, I would say to marketers out there, be cautious and make sure that whatever you embark on, you can sort of prove the value. You can tie back that expenditure to revenue because what may work in one industry won't work in another. Um, more data gets created you know, more digital interactions just generally. But as 
we start doing more and more, you know, with, with those kind of technologies, it creates more data, it creates more potentially sensitive data. And there's this big, of course, there's this big discussion conversation around customer data privacy. A lot of times when people say data privacy, they're really, they seem to talk more about security and making sure the data is secure. But I wanna talk about the ethical use of, of customer sure. data and how this, all this, you know, the more digital interactions creates more data, the more different devices being used creates more data, the more web three uh, metaverse kind of, you know, scenarios creates more data. But how do we get the ethics of how to use this data right? Because it feels to me, you know, I, I do a, another a weekly show called Watching Privacy with a, with a few fellas, and we're all, you know, we're really focused on this stuff. It feels like the excitement of having all this data overshadows the ethical use of how you should actually use it. How do and this is probably a loaded question, I, I understand, but how do we make sure that as you know, marketers get excited about all this additional data they have at their disposal, they make sure they don't cross the line and start doing things with it that it was never really meant for them to do. And also it actually starts thinking about them benefiting more than the customer Sure. And you know, it, my answer is always the same to this question, and that's transparency. So we are in this mess with consumers because we were not transparent about how we've been using their data for the last 10 years. And I think for the most part, most brands, it's not malicious, right? It's basically, uh, hey, we're using your data to help you shop better. And right. instead of just telling them that, now we've created this situation where they're fearful, they don't understand what's, you know, behind the curtain. And that's sort of how we ended up here. And I think if we lean in with a transparency focused, like if the consumer was seeing this right now, would they be alarmed by it? Right. And I think if we just stick with that, we're good to go. And unfortunately, um, you know, there's always those bad apples that spoil the bunch. And that's when regulation comes into play. And that's what's happening in the UK. And some of the great parts of legislation in UK are that it often hits companies that are based elsewhere, but do business within the UK. So they're forced to comply with some of these laws, right? And I would say too, um, one of the core aspects of data privacy is data portability. So where's your data going? You have companies that have multiple apps and they're pushing a data flow through all of the apps to try to capture a 360 degree view of you. And maybe you didn't agree to that, <laughs> you know? So I think just really being transparent you know, if you're signing up here, you're also signing up there. Um, if you're giving me this data, this is what I'm going to do with it. 
I think it's really, really, really as simple as having a, a true opt-in page. We have sort of, and excuse my French here, we have sort of these BS opt-in pages, the cookie walls, accept all cookies. And we're at the point now where it's so prevalent that we don't even read them. We just click them because we want the content. But really enabling the consumer to make informed decisions about how their data is being used. Yeah. Yeah. Give them the say. Yes. I, I love what you said, the, the transparency. Um, and, you know, we're not dumb. We know you're in business. You got to make some money, but at least say, hey, look, we want to use this you know, to improve your experience. But yeah, it'll also help us out too. It'll help us out, you know, creating better experiences, but it'll also help us stay in business. I mean, that's, you know, if you like the experiences we're creating, it's important for us to be able to, <laughs> you know, make some money while we do that. I think everybody would understand that. Absolutely. And you know, you have people who um, just lay people basically not in the industry. Um, How would they know, you know, they get scared by some of these, you know, ad techniques where they're like, Hey, I just said um, sofa and now I'm getting ads from X, Y, and Z department store trying to sell me a sofa. Like, are they listening to me? Um, I think that these sort of run of the mill things that have become regular to marketers can be scary to consumers when you don't explain it. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you uh, quickly about TikTok. Everybody's talking about TikTok. Um, It's the hottest, uh, I guess it's the hottest social network. I think there's over a billion active monthly users at this point. People love the videos. What should a marketer who has not really addressed what's going on with TikTok, how should they approach it at this point? What should they do? I know it depends on you know the industry, the kind of customers yeah. they have, but generally speaking, it seems like at least at this point, all roads are leading towards that. Sure. Video, you know, short, quick video engagement opportunities. Um, but what are you seeing and, and what should marketers be doing with uh, TikTok? You know, I, I sort of have been tackling this question for many years because we had, you know, uh, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram kind of all bust out at the same time. And we had brands sort of just creating accounts on these <laughs> um, sites and using them and then figuring out, oh, this is not driving any sort of uptick for my business, but I'm just going to keep doing it because you have to. And there's no you have to, but if it's right for your business, TikTok's a great place to sort of ride the wave and a great place for sort of native advertising, right? Like making content that really fits in there. Um, And I think that Depending on your industry, if you want to branch out and test and learn, that's my big drum that I'm always pounding is test it out, get on there, spend some money, see what happens. If it works for you, if it drives engagement, if it drives, you know, subscriptions or whatever um, is relevant to your business, keep going. If it's not working out at all, don't waste your time and your money and your effort. And, you know, often I think too, it comes back to we've, you know, we marketers always have shrinking budgets, right? And we tend to burn our employees out with, okay, social media um, director. Now you've got now you've got to keep up with all these channels, even though two of the eight 
are the only ones driving engagement for us. So really figure out, hey, is this the right fit for us? And if it is, go all in. If it's not, get out while you can. That sounds like uh, kind of the strategy behind Omnichannel uh, being being able to, and I noticed in the report, there's there's a definite move to that, although it feels like there's there's been an ongoing move for a while. Yeah. Um, it, it does feel like every year there are more channels, there are more content formats, there are more devices. And so that creates you know, this ongoing need, I guess, from a marketing perspective, to try to create a strategy that is flexible and agile enough that you know, you're able to take advantage of that, even though it's a very, can be a very complex, complicated situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, we have omni-channel and we have multi-channel. And I think that truthfully, most companies are at multi-channel. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know what the future is going to look like in terms of being able to have an omni-channel approach in this new environment. But again, I, I would say get to a place where your marketing's always on and the channels are relevant. And that means the, another thing that came out always on means no, no fewer campaigns or. Yeah. The camp, the campaign is static it's not, um, you know, it can't adapt in real time, right? So like I set, the, I set the dials and I'm like, okay, send Brent an ad at 12 p.m. about uh, pro golf and then send an email on Friday if he clicks on the ad, you know, that's not going to work because you're, you know, you're in control of your customer journey, Right. And it's quick now. It's a click, click here and a click, click there. And if you can't pivot with the customer, you're just going to be left behind. It needs to be almost instant that you're uh, able to switch your message, um, the format, the channel, those kind of things. It needs to be always on at all times so that we can give you the best experience possible. So who in the future, or you know, now going into the future, what are the right traits? What are the right you know, mindsets of a marketer, an advertiser going forward? What, or what would you be looking for to hire somebody for the, for the landscape that we have just laid out? Yeah, you know, I'm looking for someone who can really adapt quickly and come up with new ideas that go outside the box of the way that we've been doing things over the past 10 years. And maybe that's, you know, taking a look at new partnerships. Maybe that's um, figuring out, you know, where the money needs to be spent in terms of the funnel instead of the channel, right? So like, where are we getting, you know, the most engagement and how can we convert that engagement? I think, you can get engagement all day, but if it's not converting to a sale, doesn't matter, right? So I'm really looking for folks who understand that we're moving away from the way that we've always done things. I'm a really big proponent of, we don't just do things because that's the way they've always been done. That's a disaster. 
we need to be able to pivot and and act and not be afraid to make transformations. And I know that can be hard, especially in a budget constrained world. And marketing is the first place where, uh, you know, companies cut budgets. So it's really difficult, but that makes it even more um, critical that we have, you know, critical thinking marketers and folks that can adapt. So you led me to my last question. We, I think the, the inflation numbers just came out today and they were higher than expected. So it's still through the roof. Uh, you're, you're seeing more and more stories about layoffs taking place, the, the specter of a recession. So with that kind of as a backdrop, what role will you know, this kind of the marketing, MarTech, ad tech play in a potential down market? Yeah, so the, the goal, I think, is to be able to show up in the marketplace, even if you only have a couple of people behind the curtain working the controls. That's, that's the goal of automation. Um, and I think we just haven't kind of gotten to the place where it's working the way that we, wanna, we want it to work. Um, and I think that probably you're going to see... Uh, marketers having to make some tough choices about what, you know, like I said before, maybe it's not the right time for omni-channel, maybe it's multi-channel, you know, it, investing in the right areas, you know, and this is my personal opinion is uh, some of these layoffs and some of these um, sort of bad things we're seeing um, in the marketplace it's, it's fear driven. A lot of it, it's companies that um, had, made massive growth happen with hiring and now they're sort of writing themselves. I think that honestly, uh, I mean, maybe I'm, an, maybe I'm being optimistic, but I'm, I'm thinking that it's not going to be as bad as we're sort of projecting. I think that the layoffs that are happening now, you're seeing people get really spooked and um, hopefully uh, just correcting their over hiring sprees. Tara, this has been a really great conversation. Um, before I let you go, is there anything in the report, any uh, nuggets that you wanted to make sure people are aware of? Um, you know, just that, you know, you're going to be seeing uh, more job seekers, but the skill sets that you're going to want to hire for are different than you have in the past. So make sure that as you go forward with your digital transformations that you have the right talent or that you upskill the talent that you already have. It's really important to um, have the right people and the right roles, especially in a time where we're going to be maybe seeing more layoffs um, and having less resources. Awesome. Well, this has been a really great conversation. We covered a lot of ground. We did. Uh, and, and where can people go if they want to check out uh, this research? Where can they go to get it? Yeah, so go to pega.com backslash future of marketing, and you'll be able to download the report there. We also have a virtual event coming up on July 28th. Speaking of which. Woo, there we go. We'll be, we'll be talking with a bunch of great leaders about the trends from the report and what they think um, is going to happen. And these are all awesome folks that have a lot to say. 
I know one of them very well, Liz Miller. Oh, she's the best. Definitely awesome. That is going to be, not only will that be informative, it's going to be fun knowing that Liz and you are going to be a part of that. So It's going to be great. She's a rock star. And you know what? I'll, I'll leave you with a, a Liz Miller nugget here, which is that when did the third party cookie ever help build a relationship? Yeah, I remember. I, I remember her saying that at some event, not that long ago. I think it yep. was a tweet she put out or something. I was like, "Yeah, that sounds like Liz." It's a, yep. it's a good one. There we go. <laughs> maybe that was a super cookie. No. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the uh, functionality of a super cookie. Tara, this would be great. I always ask for my last question. Every guest I have one question, regardless of how great the conversation was, and this one was really great. The wrong answer to this question means I will never talk to you again. Okay. All right. Not that there's any pressure here. <laughs> Do you have a favorite NFL team? And, and I'm glad that you're not working in the Boston office of Pega. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I'm more of a, a, a hockey fan, but obviously the Seahawks, you know, I'm, I'm from Seattle, so I have to stay true to my home team. That's okay. Yeah. That's all right. And you I'm know what? Man, I'm so. glad that Russell Wilson is gone. Bye, Russell. Wow. <laughs> from Russell hate from a Seahawks fan. See ya. <laughs> oh, this is great. No, the only wrong answer is uh, the Patriots. I'm a Rams mm. fan, and they beat me twice in the Super Bowl. Oh. Um, so yeah. So right. I, I have you. a lot of uh, frenemies in Pega. You know, totally, after. total front of me. <laughs> but Tara, thank you so much. This would be great. I would love to have another conversation sometime down the road if you're up for it. Absolutely, Brent. Thanks so much for having me. All right. And thank you all for checking us out. I'll see you tomorrow with the CRM players. Have a great rest of the day.